This podcast is intended solely for educational purposes and presents information of a general nature. It is not intended to guide or determine any specific individual situation and persons should consult qualified professionals before taking specific action. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and not those of Milliman. Hello, and welcome to Milliman's Critical Point Podcast. I'm Charlie Clark. I'm principal and the director of Milliman's Employee Benefits Research Group. We're here today to talk about the IRS's notice 2021-48, which was released at the end of July, and it provides guidance on changes to single-employer defined benefit pension plan cash contribution rules under the American Rescue Plan Act, to which we'll refer to as ARPA. Um, Plant sponsors and advisors have been eagerly awaiting this technical guidance, and it provides a roadmap to the implementation of ARPA. During this Critical Point podcast today, we'll be discussing the ways in which this guidance impacts plan sponsors and the participants of single employer pension plans. I'm happy to be joined today by my colleague, Casey Baldwin. Casey is a principal and actuary who specializes in these single employer pension plans, and he's from our Portland, Oregon office. Glad you could join me today, Casey. Good morning, Charlie. It's good to be with you. You know, you know, Casey, the, the IRS finally got around to providing this important guidance, assisting the plan sponsors. We've been waiting for it for a while, and it reflects the assistance relief that Congress authorized due to the pandemic emergency. So just what did we learn for de- defined benefit plans? Well, Charlie, we finally got some clarification We've been waiting for that for quite a while, and we got some answers to some some of our technical questions. Overall, I would say there really weren't any major surprises from what we got in the guidance. Uh, Prior to this guidance, many of us have been kind of trying to push forward in good faith and interpret the laws that had been written, but there were just some details that we just didn't have answers to. Now we have concrete answers and we can move forward. Outside of those provisions, the guidance seemed to place quite a bit of emphasis on memorializing elections. So plan sponsors are going to need to provide written notification to the actuary if they're making any elections under ARPA. So, so let's get a little bit more into what you, you refer to as a clarification. What, what was clarified in this guidance? Yeah, I think one of the big items was on the interest rate relief provisions provided by ARPA. And when I talk about the interest rate provisions, that's what are used to calculate the pension obligations. And by default, this provision on the interest rate relief, it was to go into effect for 2020 plan year. Plan sponsors had the option of deferring all the way to 2022. In the original language, the way it was written, there was some ambiguity and many of the practitioners thought that it was only allowed to apply in 2020 or 2022 and 2021 was not an option. So finally we got an answer there and clearly they put that to bed and we can with an, with an election go ahead and reflect that interest rate relief for the first time in 2021. Good. Well, that, that, that's great news, I, uh, I assume, for all plan sponsors. But is, is there anything else we should talk about here? Yeah, well, interest rate relief, it's, it's not new to actuaries or plan sponsors. We've been dealing with it for the last 15 years. Since the Pension Protection Act of 2006 went into, went into effect, we've generally been in a very low interest rate environment. When we have low interest rates, that results in larger liabilities and larger cash contributions for the plan sponsors. So periodically we've had lawmakers um, providing us with interest rate, and I will say that that's temporary interest rate relief um, to insulate plan sponsors from, from dealing with the effects of low interest rates. 
The interest rate relief prior to ARPA was set to start phasing out in 2021. So that was a concern many actuaries and plan sponsors had. So the interest rate relief in effect prior to ARPA was set to start phasing out in 2021. Now ARPA resets that interest rate relief and it pushes that phase out period to 2026. However, we're aware of the current infrastructure bill being debated right now in the Senate. And that defers the beginning of the phase-out commencement all the way to 2031. So that's something we're definitely keeping our, our eye on. It's important to remember with this interest rate relief that it does not apply to all liability measurements. For example, each year a pension plan will pay a premium to the Pension, and, the pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, or PBDC. And part of this PBDC premium they pay each year it has what's called a variable premium. And that variable premium is determined on the unfunded liability that the plan has. That unfunded liability is not going to be changed by ARPA. So while the ARPA guidance sets a clear path that prior IRS funding calculations may be changed retroactively, plan sponsors are cautioned that these PBDC variable rate premium calculations are unlikely to change. We, of course, would change our view of PBDC issue specific guidance in one of their periodic technical updates. You know, I, I thought I read something in there about the interest rate relief not only changes minimum funding cash contributions, but also um, statutory hybrid plans. What's that and, and why do we care about it? Yeah, so the guidance clearly indicated that certain hybrid plans could be affected by the ARPA, ARPA interest rate relief. So hybrid plans or cash balance plans, as they're sometimes referred to, they provide participants with an account balance that's credited with interest periodically. Now, many of these hybrid plans tied their interest credits to the funding segment rates. And if they did that, those interest crediting rates will be affected by ARPA. So I think there's a couple takeaways from that provision there. That is that ARPA will produce higher segment rates for funding, and that's going to result in higher interest crediting rates for these plans that credit cash balance. So that could offset some of the savings that comes from the, this interest rate relief. And I think one of the takeaways there for plan sponsors is if they do have a plan with interest crediting rates that are tied to these segment rates, it may be advantageous for them to wait and defer to reflect that interest rate relief to 2022. And then also, depending on when the interest rate relief goes into effect, the plan may be required to adjust past interest credits. That could be something that they have to do retroactively. Thanks, Casey. Now, I, what, what I understand and what I've read, there, there is another component to implementing ARPA. And the other major provision in there is to pay off what I've been referring to as an IRS funding deficit over a longer period of time than under the pension plan law being replaced. Can you discuss that, please? Yeah, so single employer DD plans have generally amortized their shortfalls or deficits over a seven-year period. Now, with ARPA, that permanently bumps that amortization period up to 15 years. That's pretty much what we expected to see in the guidance. Uh, the law was written that way, so we didn't really see any curveballs on this. The default there is, is that the 2022 plan year will be the year in which that extended amortization goes into effect, but plans do have the option to adopt as early as 2019. And so the extended amortization period, what that's going to do is it's going to lead to lower contribution requirements. So we expect many of our plans to, to make that election and implement early. Okay. One of the more technical provision has to do with the, this idea of, of a pre-funding balance. And, and what a pre-funding balance is, is uh, in the past, if a plan sponsor has made higher contributions than, they, than was necessary to meet the minimum funding requirements, they get a credit. So, so can you talk to us a little bit about 
Um, what changes, if any, have been made for uh, the, 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 what's called the pre-funding balances, Casey? Yeah, the IRS threw us a bone here. Um, generally, in the past, we've always considered written elections to reduce pre-funding balance as irrevocable. However, the guidance clearly gives plans uh, an option to revoke those prior elections to the extent that their pre-funding balance that was used now exceeds the minimum after reflecting ARPA. So in other words, if they use too much balance to satisfy requirements prior to ARPA, this will give them the opportunity to go back and recoup some of that pre-funding balance. And then also we have, we know that some plan sponsors may have made excess cash contributions after ARPA is reflected. And so they'll have the opportunity to go and reflect those excess contributions and add them to their pre-funding balance. Once again, all these corrections will require written elections and those elections are generally due by the end of 2021. Overall, we're really quite pleased with the flexibility that the IRS gave us. That's that's a, a remarkable comment is normally we, we may not feel like that, but um, and thank you for pointing out the, uh, the, the written elections again. Do you want to add anything more to that? Yeah, one surprise that we saw in all this that in those written elections is that the plan sponsor's address is listed as one of the essential items on that written election form. Some of us consultants have been pushing forward and issuing um, election forms prior to any guidance, and most of those forms did not include the address. Now, is there, is there any further comment you have on what can be done for the plan sponsors, for their plans that they already signed these election forms and may have missed out on this, what some might seem as a silly detail? So Charlie, we're taking the position that if a plan already signed an election form, that it was done under good faith and we don't anticipate trying to go back and make corrections to those forms. Obviously, as we go forward, we're going to put the the address, the plan sponsor's address on on all the forms and that will be taken care of going forward. Okay. So let's let's start wrapping this up, Casey. Are, Are there any pitfalls to be aware of or other items to consider before we thank our audience for being with us today, please? Sure, Charlie, I can share a few thoughts on that. I think there's a couple things to be aware of. First, I would say, um, be aware of the ramifications. So with ARPA, we have the opportunity to go as far back as 2019 to redo some of our evaluations and a lot of the calculations. So with that, we need to be real careful that everything we do is in sync, including our our 5,500 filings, our PBGC filings, you will have the opportunity to reassign um, receivable contributions. We don't think that's gonna be impact, that will impact the PBGC premium, but that could come about. So that's something that's worth considering. Then secondly, I would say, don't be fooled. The relief that we're getting is temporary and it's artificial in many ways. For example, if a plan pays lump sums, the lump sums that it's going to pay to participants doesn't change. So even though we're getting interest rate relief, that only impacts what we put on paper. The actual cost of the plan is what we pay to participants or ultimately what we pay to an insurance company to offload that liability. So don't be fooled by that. Also, if a plan goes ahead and takes advantage of some of the lower contributions that come through ARPA, um, it could have impact on your PBGC variable premium. It could also delay the timing to get fully funded on a plan termination basis. So plans, Sponsors are going to want to reevaluate, you know, some of their long-term objectives. And then also on, on notice 2021-48, we want to make sure that those are, or make it known that those are for IRS calculations only. And plan sponsors need to weigh the consequences on their accounting um, liabilities. If, if they're putting in less cash, it could, it could have an impact on their 
P&L and their balance sheet obligations. And then finally, I would say to plan sponsors, reassess your risks. The landscape has changed with ARPA. So if prior to ARPA, your, your primary driver in making decisions was cash avoidance, and I had plans that were in that, in that boat, you now have more cushion and things have changed. So um, you may have some more flexibility on, on your investments. You may have more flexibility to de-risk. We've had this 80% threshold that's out there. Anytime your plan's funded percentage falls below 80%, you can be subject to benefit restrictions. That, that measurement is going to be affected by ARPA. So plans should have more cushion and be able to stay above that 80% threshold a little easier. That may give them some room to operate and do some more de-risking activity that they weren't able to do prior to ARPA. And then last, I would just say, revisit your objectives and risk tolerance. Maybe it's a good chance to talk to your actuary and revisit those things and make sure you're on the path that you want to be and not just defaulting to the minimum required contributions that are the result through ARPA. Thanks, Casey. That's really helpful. So I'll just wrap up, folks, and, and close here. So we know that IRS delivered to the plan sponsors and the pension actuaries this, this concise technical guidance to implement uh, the IRS funding calculations under ARPA in general. And as we wrote to our readers in our benefits alert released on August 3rd, there is a lot of flexibility to consider. Uh, Casey's comments just before this, my closing statement, is a good roadmap to follow and alert that unintended adverse financial results could occur if this isn't carefully evaluated, in particular, the impact on the balance sheet. Thanks, Casey. Thanks, Charlie. It's been good to be with you. Thank you. And everyone, thanks. You've been listening to Critical Point Podcast presented by Milliman. To listen to other episodes of our podcast, visit us at milliman.com. And you can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. See you next time.